If your physique, complexion, voice, speech, habits, carriage, or general behavior in the slightest degree suggests a femininity, do everything in your power to create an impression of masculinity. Pitch your voice lower. Develop your arm muscles and your chest expansion. How do you laugh? Are your laughs pitched high like a woman's? Ha 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 ha. Lower the pitch. Develop a masculine laugh. Chuckle. Laugh from the depths of your chest and stomach. Ha 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 ha! Roar! Bellow! Do anything but giggle. <laughs> anything but giggle. Oh gosh. Well, as we enter with our giggles, I'm Jackie Danziger. And I'm James Tyson. And it's been a week. Ha ha ha. So our wonderful theme song this week is actually a clip from uh, like a nineteen ninety six episode of This American Life called Sissies. Which is going to be a little bit of a theme this week. We're going to be talking about sissies. You'll see it later on. Uh, but We're very much outside the world, obviously. I clearly am not one. Yeah, this is a real outsider glance. It's like <laughs> when Vice covers <laughs> women's issues. <laughs> um, so for those of you who are new to the show, and there are some people mm-hmm. new to the show. some new listeners. Uh, I'm James Tyson. I'm a former writer for Bustle. I'm a blogger, freelance writer, and all-around queer guy. I'm Jackie. I didn't realize we were giving bios. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving. A, uh, I've a, got things to pitch. Sure, I'm a writer and multidisciplinary artist because I'm a graduate student at Brooklyn College and I'm studying performance and interactive media arts, uh, which I don't even know what that means, really. But oh, I don't either. <laughs> but a podcast is is interactive, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, we're doing it. Uh, so today we're going to be going through a few different topics. We're going to talk about Kanye West and Taylor Swift. We're going to talk There's about a feud. Mm-hmm. Uh, a decades-old feud. We're going to briefly talk about Meryl Streep and... Very briefly. Project Runaway Jr. A little less briefly. <laughs> uh, and we're going to talk about this great film that we watched called Do I Sound Gay? Uh, spoiler alert. That's where the theme sequence is thematically related. I see how already how it works. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but before we jump into anything else, we start with news from the news feed. These are the things that our friends and the internet won't shut up about. And um, I will say the internet was less aggressive, I think, this. There wasn't, you know... It still wouldn't shut up, but there was not quite as... I didn't feel yelled at. I didn't feel yelled at, but... but Certainly, I felt like it was covering the same three or four stories. Yes. And uh, first and foremost, ding dong, Antonin Scalia is dead. So it's funny that you use that specifically because uh, so Antonin Scalia, uh, Supreme Court Justice, very, very conservative, just passed away. And I wasn't quite sure how to feel about it when the first person told me I was I was at work and we all sort of looked at each other. And then the oldest member of the team was like. I just so was like, oh, slow. is that okay? Okay, yeah, I guess I am a little bit glad. And I, as I said, Wizard of Oz said it's okay sometimes to feel okay that people have passed. Yeah. I don't hope that he was in pain. I hope, oh, no, you know, I'm not No, vicious. I don't hope that at all. But, I um, do hope it was Swift. Taylor Swift? It's the next story. All right. I'm glad he's dead. I'm sorry, I'm delirious with joy. But I have to say, so th- pretty much the second it was announced that he was dead, the Republicans immediately jumped on the opportunity to, to politicize his death and make it explicitly clear that they're going to do everything in their power to obstruct Obama's arguably constitutional right to appoint a new justice. Uh, Bearing in mind, Obama has almost a year left in his term. Exactly. And... Uh, and Democrats tried to do something similar with uh, George Bush using this this rule, the Thurman rule, and Republicans re- they called BS on it, and that was with way less time. Uh, so I don't I don't think you should be able to do it. But but I just hope that this is taken as a reminder of the insane opposition that any Democratic president is going to face in office because these guys are like they're not playing by any rules, and no matter how many liberals are like, and the rules- that's really hypocritical. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> no, and the rules are there. It's not like. I mean, they're literally there. They're in the Constitution. They're very old, clear rules. So actually, I want to play a clip from John Oliver last week tonight, which just came back. The first episode of the third season is like really fantastic. And he had arguably the best mic drop about this situation, I think. Uh, yeah, he just sums it up well. So here's here's a clip from John Oliver. Also, it is, it's weird. It's weird to see a debate over an unwritten rule when you consider what Antonin Scalia stood for. You talk about someone who defended consistently the original meaning of the Constitution, who understood that the Constitution was not there to be interpreted based on the fads of the moment, 
but that they were there to, it was there to be interpreted according to its original meaning. He's right. Scalia loved the letter of the law. So let's look at the letter that applies here, shall we? Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution says, The President shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint judges of the Supreme Court. That's the President. This President. There is nothing in the Constitution about you getting to delay him for a year because of some bullshit tradition. So, so to Senate Republicans, I say this. If you really loved Ant Antonin Scalia, you wouldn't honour his memory by desecrating the thing he loved the most. Think of Scalia like a Brita filter or a child's hamster. Why don't you honour his entire reason for being by swiftly and efficiently replacing him? <laughs> <laughs> I love John Oliver so much. Uh, truth be told, I, I really do hope that Obama nominates, and I think it's like the... I hope he goes so far. I hope it's like a black pregnant teenager. Like I hope it's like I think fuck honestly, all of you. I think I think he is going to nominate somebody and I I think it probably will be someone that is so qualified but also is hitting a demographic that Republicans don't feel right alienating in an election year. Do you get what I mean? How, like like if they were if he was to nominate let's say Loretta Lynch who is a a prominent well-vetted African-American woman mm -hmm. who they just vetted then I think it would be pretty hard for them in an election year to say no. Right, because, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, okay, so that's Antonin Scalia. Uh, that was Marco Rubio, by the way, just full out saying that what he would have wanted was the Constitution. Just <laughs> my clip there. <laughs> um, so next up is... Uh, oh, so Kanye, Kanye West. West. I'm so sick of this, and yet I can't stop reading about it. Um so he he and Taylor Swift have had a feud for a little while, ever since of the whole uh, Grammys, I'm a let you finish moment where he ran up on stage and, and stopped her from giving her speech. Right, but Beyonce had yeah. a bit, yeah. And they went back and forth. And anyway, last we heard, everything was cool. And yet uh, Kanye just came out with his new album, Life of Pablo, and there's a lyric in it where he, so the, the lyric is, I feel like me and, me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. I made that bitch famous. And it's just it's like, first of all, that's just like shitty. Like, it's just like stupid. Right. I mean, it's, it's not, it's even, not like I'm yeah. like, oh, that's sick wordplay. Too bad. I find it problematic. Like, it's just sort of a dumb thing to say. Super degrading. And I'm a little confused as to why people are like, well, I could see I, 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 I could see the joke. And in fact, Kanye's uh, defense is that bitch is an endearing term, just like the N word. But. If that's true, then I feel like there are huge social rules associated with that loaded language. Namely, if you are not someone who could be victimized by that language, you don't get to use it affectionately. Like, that's well established that white people shouldn't feel comfortable using the N-word, which is completely true. <laughs> and right, I mean, no one's, no one's going to argue yeah. with that. So then why, why well, are people... Well, although it does seem... It depends on where you are in the country. But I guess sure. so. So why are people so confident in their right to call women bitches? Sure. I, but, uh, gay men can still say bitch, right? When referring to a woman, no, I don't think you should assume that's okay. I think you're being faggy. I think you're using that word correctly. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but so, so Taylor, she hits back uh, from the Grammys stage while accepting Best Album of the Year, and it's already gotten all of this uh, attention. So her, I'm, I'm going to just reenact uh, Taylor's so acceptance it, it went speech. down like this. Ladies and gentlemen, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Thank you to my producers and all that stuff. And then, as the first woman to win Album of the Year at the Grammys twice, I want to say to all the young women out there, there are going to be people along the way who will try to undercut your success or take credit for your accomplishments what? or your fame. Wow. But if you just focus on your work and you don't let those people sidetrack you, someday you're going to get where you're going and you'll look around and you'll know that it was you and the people who love you that put you there. And that will be the greatest feeling of all. What? Put your music on Spotify. <laughs> As she's saying this, they cut to like the most like salty looking girl in the uh, in the audience, like who's just giving her the stink eye really Kim hard. Kardashian. No, some some girl that was up for like best. Uh, I don't know, but um. Anyway, as per usual, the reaction to her reaction is the most interesting because I've been knee deep in like sexist clickbait articles about this that are all characterizing her as like a little passive aggressive for our taste. I don't know what's passive about that, though. It seems pretty clear. I think the fact that she didn't say, yo, Kanye, you're the fucking bitch here. I think for people are like, I I, it was coded. 
I knew what she was saying, I but see, she didn't I come see. out and say it. She's so passive aggressive. Whereas like, no, that's how much more aggressive could she really get without it becoming like, yo, Taylor, you got to tone it down yeah, a little bit. a little tacky. Yeah. So, so that, that was her speech. And, um, I just, I have to specifically call out this idiot, uh, Christopher Rosa that writes for VH1. Uh, cause I've, his articles are such lazy bullshit. Uh, in his Pulitzer Prize worthy article, Taylor Swift passive aggressively called out Kanye West during her 2016 Grammys Awards speech. Uh, He follows up the clip of that acceptance speech, exactly what we just said. Uh, And he just says, yikes, that's pretty angry from an album of the year acceptance speech. Am I right? Was it? No. no. I was like, no, Rosa, you're you're not right. You're an idiot. (laughs) Proven further by um, the next article that I clicked on from him, uh, and I'm being generous now, just calling them articles. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the next one was called Taylor Swift's Hysterics Stole oh. Ed Sheeran's Grammy Moment. Oh. And the tagline was, she needed to calm down. Oh. <laughs> it's like, when you try to make an Don't argument. ever say that horrible I phrase know. in my presence. And it's like, all he was ragging on her for was like clapping too loud and smiling for her friend. And he was like... Essentially, the, the, the question the article poses is, was she trying to steal the show with all that smiling and clapping? And it's like, no. No, no. Christopher Rosa, she wasn't. So I don't know who this, this guy is, but I just wanted to call out really, really bad writing, VH1 guy. Can I call Christopher Rosa a bitch? Is that anti-woman? Ah, see, that's where it gets it gets subtle. I think it really is problematic when you are specifically calling a woman. Whoa, you don't have to be a bitch about it. Oh, God, I hate... <laughs> but just last thing I'm going to say, Taylor Swift... She's 26 years old. She's been working since she was 14. And she really is like a hero to countless young women. And those girls are on the internet. And I feel like they see what these idiots are writing. And I do think you internalize that message of, oh, God, I didn't know she was going to say anything. And then when she did, she kind of calmed down. You know what I mean? Yeah, Where it's like, yeah. what message is that? So anyway, uh, I don't even really like Taylor Swift. It's not like I'm like listening to 1980 whatever all the time, eighty nine. Uh, I I I, I do you, listen. I have listened. I have it on my iPod. But when a guy calls her out like that, that's when I'm like, Taylor, you're coming at Taylor. Oh no! So <laughs> thanks for the call to action, jerks. Fair enough. And with that, let's play our first song of the week. Uh, this is Jasmine Sullivan. Stupid girl uh, is the name of the song, and I just want to say I went to high school with Jasmine Sullivan, and I'm so psyched that she's back. Like. Throw all the awards at this woman. She's, She's amazing. amazing. Noses got me wrapped around his fingers with a glance. I do whatever he says. If he wants it, he gives a smile that snaps my little heart into a trance. They can fuck around with Make us really trust the man We never have a clue We never see it coming A train wreck headed for us But we never think of running So which one are you? Because I know who I am I could choose to use your head Or be a stupid girl Will it be? Don't wanna end up like me Please to use your head Don't be a stupid girl So good. Uh, so I know this isn't on the docket, but J- Jasmine Sullivan was in the news recently for saying that if she was white, people would have given her more awards and people yeah, didn't like fair. that. But it's uh, honestly, you know, if a producer heard a white girl singing like hit, like, like Jasmine, he'd be like, wow, I got to throw Grammys at her and sign right, her. Yeah. So she's been working forever, but my gosh, she's really good. She needs to get more attention. Anyway, so everyone go out and listen to Jasmine Sullivan. Uh, and now, in uh, other sort of news that we're not actually going to talk about, Meryl's... No, I don't want to talk about this at all. No. 
This week, Meryl Streep said that she was African, and the world swiftly responded... That we're all African. That we're all African. By which she also meant, I am African. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and no, she's not. She's Mm-mm, not African. No. Uh, I don't want to talk about this, and I'm not going to, except I do just have to shake my head at this unfortunate addition to the growing list of presumably well-meaning but ill-conceived statements made by admirable women with power. And Meryl, you said a lot of true things in there about how hard it is for women in the film industry. But it doesn't matter now because you also said we're all Africans, referring to an all-white panel. So that's crazy. This is not a Sophie's Choice. That's not a hard decision. Don't say that. I mean, we're not going to talk about it, I'm though. done, talk- not, I'm done not talking know, about it. We're not covering That's- this. And since we're not going to talk about a uh, another... A dumb white woman. Dumb white woman. Or dumb white person. We're going to talk about a really, really smart young black comedian who's fabulous named Francesca Ramsey. A delight. So most people uh, probably know about her, but if you don't, she's incredible. She's sort of a YouTube star. Uh, She came out a couple years ago with a big viral hit called uh, Like Shit White Girls Say to Black Women. And it went viral. She quit her job. She started making more videos. She's been doing a lot with MTV and uh, she's just hilarious. And she's one of those people that makes funny videos that are political, but also political videos that are funny. Do you get what I mean? And like approachable and intelligent and like all the all the things. She's also like super camera ready. She's charismatic. So I could totally see her in a couple of years being like an SNL cast member. Yeah, I, like I think hopefully, she'd be, like yeah. that's, that's the kind of comedian I think she is. For now, she has a show called Decoded. Mm-hmm. On MTV. She's got like over 81,000 YouTube or uh, Twitter followers. And uh, she was also featured on Nylon's Spotlight series, Black Girl Power, The Future is Bright. So she's just, she's awesome. And she's, yeah, she's, I think let's just go ahead and jump into a clip yeah, from so Decoded. <laughs> I pulled a, uh, I pulled a clip uh, that is about Black History Month because it's February and it's Black History Month. We haven't mentioned it. And I grew up in Philadelphia, went to Creative and Performing Arts High School, and uh, Black History Month was a really big deal. It was like the one big show that we did every year. So anyway, uh, I want to to play this great funny clip. Uh, it starts with, um, before we get into this clip, it is uh, a white guy complaining, why is there a Black History Month? There should be a White History Month. And then Francesca she appears, appears yeah. and guides him through what the world would be like without Black History. Mm-hmm. This place is lame. Where are we? Times Square, Midtown Manhattan. Ever heard of it? Yeah, right. There's more like some boring-ass town and some shitty little country or some shit. Pretty much. Not only was most of early New York City built by African slaves, but without black slaves, the South never developed its labor-intensive cotton and tobacco plantations. What? Which means that the North never developed its financial sector or heavy industries meant to support that very same lucrative cotton industry. What? It's entirely possible that without the contributions of black Americans, we wouldn't have the money to have made the Louisiana Purchase from France. What? The land deal that expanded America's borders and catapulted it into being one of the world's leading food producers as well as a global leader. Wait, so you're saying that without black people, most of this country is owned by France? It's entirely possible. No, no, take me back. I want to go back. I want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that clip is, I mean, the, the sketch is so good. You have to... Uh, people should seek out the whole thing because it ends really, really well. And if there's one like thing button. I love, it's it's making fun of dumb white people. And she does it really well, at least in this sketch. You know what's great? That, uh, not great, but every now and then I really think that people like hear that mentality. They can even see a sketch like this and they're like, God, like it's a little heavy handed. Like what white person is really that clueless? But then you read the comments to these videos <laughs> and it's crazy to me. There are crazy people on the internet. I don't know if anyone is as racist as they appear. But I, I gotta assume like a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the, like, the internet's if... not a total fabrication. Exactly. Like some someone's like that. Yeah, it's so. Anyway, uh, good on you. She's fantastic. Yeah, Francesca. Ramsey. I almost. I actually kind of hope she doesn't get on SNL so much as she gets like an inside Amy Schumer style. Just on a better network than MTV. Although, Although I love what she's doing with that show now. I well, mean, it's amazing. But I also like the fact that young people, young people watch the MTV. <laughs> we're almost 30. We yeah. were going to mention it in the, for anyone who's new, but yeah. we're trying to hide from it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, when I, when I think about what it is to be 17 right now and the idols you have to choose from, I'm super glad that she's doing a show on MTV. And, That's, yeah. and in researching her, I found out that she got her start on an MTV show called Brawless, which was feminist pop culture. So I was like, 
clearly MTV's got programming I'm not I'm not looking into. <sighs> the kids are all right. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, speaking of, well, let's go into our next song. Yes. Uh, Alabama Shakes. Yes. Don't want to fight. Which is off of uh, Sounding Color, which is just like the most amazing album. So. And then uh, we will really dive into some kids who are all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's the Alabama Shakes. Lying down ain't easy. And everyone is pleasing. I can't get no relief. so good Brittany Howard uh, lead singer of the Alabama Shakes is just like the fucking best she's like other my other feminist icon of the moment right now and she actually just did a fresh air interview that's really great Ooh, I recommend yep I'll have to check that out you should uh, all right next up on the docket is Project Runway Juniors Ooh. now uh, truth be told this was um, Jackie's recommended viewing for the week yes so we're doing a new thing where we don't just tell each other about what we're watching, but we say, no, I, I really, literally want you to watch it, too. And we're doing it. And I watched it. And and you so you've never really been into Project Runway in any iteration. I mean, sort of like I I know I watched maybe like the first or second season. I think it came out when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, is that relatable to young people? And uh, so, like, I watched, like, Christian Siriano's season and maybe one other. And even then, I don't think I saw the whole thing. And it just never never grabbed you. Never never grabbed me. Yeah. So I, I started watching Project One Runway with, like, my mother. And we loved it. And we'd, like, watch it together. So I, fo- I followed it for a while. And then, like, once it switched from Bravo to Lifetime, I kind of stopped watching. I think a lot of people did that. But I really like this kind of reality TV. Like, I, I really like... TV that's about people being good at stuff under the wire. And I will say the juniors aspect of it really adds a layer of um, adorableness. Yeah. Uh, uh, but also I'm it makes me a much more empathetic viewer oh. of a contestant show. Sure. Uh, so I, I just loved it. And, and to, s- to be clear, because we haven't actually said it yet, it's Project Runway, but with 13 to 16 year olds? No, they're little. It's like 13 to 17. To 17. Yeah. High school students. Yeah. Young. I mm-hmm. mean, they are little babes. They are. And they're so sweet. But really, if we're being honest, it's so it's like a group of 15 students and they are almost without deviation, women and gay men. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and gay gay men. But it's pretty radical in that sense where I'm like, this is a cool group of kids. Well, so... Um, we actually, in terms of watching, so I watched first what we're about to talk about next, which is Do I Sound Gay? And I, it put me in a very vulnerable place. And then I watched this. Mm-hmm. And so going into this, I was very prepared. I was in like such a compassionate place. And I was like, I just want to watch these little helpless kids get mentored by Tim Gunn. And then I got 10 minutes into it and I was like, holy shit, these kids have their shit together. Like I was so intimidated. So they're crazy talented. Like they're... The, okay, so some things to know. On Project Runway, the regular one, they usually have like two days. Sometimes you get three days. It's usually one to two. Every single uh, competition for them is, an, is a day. And the things that they're able to do is just remarkable. Like they're, they're quite, quite talented. I had seen uh, Project Runway had done another show for kids that they tried to get off the ground called uh, Project Runway Threads. That was a disaster. That actually a bunch of the contestants for this new show 
uh, did that. What, what was the disaster part of it? What was... It was just that they tried to do it halfway. So instead of having a whole season of the same group, each episode was three new kids and the kids could bring their parents and you only had like four hours and like none of the right materials. So the parents just don't understand. Yeah. That's a given. I will tell you, imagine this show and then the women that raise them. And so it was actually fairly compelling on that front, but it wasn't a good fashion show. just called it Project Runway Gypsy. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's funny. No, it was more it was more these like women that were like, whatever they want. And then be like, Mom, you're so stupid. <laughs> you're like, no. Oh. Um, but anyway, these kids are amazing. And Tim Gunn is the most wonderful human in the world. Oh, I love him. Don't you just want to like be swaddled in a Tim Gunn blanket? I do. I just want him to follow me around and tell me to make it work. He's so fabulous. And so I teach I teach a high school filmmaking class and uh it's a very similar kind of group of students. Well, except for, I mean, just in the sense that it's diverse. Like I love with this show, you have like multiple kids from mixed backgrounds from all over the country. They have like sort of like different class backgrounds. It's, it's nice. It it feels like an actually eclectic group. It's not sure. Sure. 10 trust fund kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Tim Gunn, who already in every iteration of project runway is like the, the sweet mentor that just loves them all equally. In this one, you really see him growing an attachment and like a, a love for these kids. So that every time he leaves the workroom, he he like blows them a kiss. He's always like, "Love you." Oh. It's quite cute. He's and like, it has the added like sadness too of knowing that Tim Gunn hasn't had sex in twenty years, which means he's like, "I just feel like fatherhood is just never gonna be in the cards. It never was in the cards for Tim Gunn, and now he has these kids to mentor." Every time and you they bring such beautiful dresses. Every time you bring that up, I've already, like I've just forgotten that fact, and then you bring it up to me again. Like every couple of years, I, I, I go back to being like, You mean that Tim, Tim Gunn, Gunn has not had sex in 20 yeah. years? Never forget, Jackie. Where do you know Never that information? Forget. It was like a public, it was like a, you even gave interviews about it. I see. You, we always go through the same actually rigmarole with this thing where you're like, well, wait, where <laughs> did you like, hear well, that? Well, is this like something you've heard on the street? Gay <laughs> street. <laughs> yeah, all the, the gay bars are a flutter with <laughs> Tim, Tim Gunn, Gunn gossip. gossip. I Jinx. bet those jerks. Um, <laughs> you owe Tim Gunn a blowjob. <laughs> Uh, well, I love this show. I think if you like if you like reality TV, if you at some point watched Project Run- Runway and then you fell off because it became too formulaic, it's back. Oh, uh, let's play a clip from it yes. just real quick. This is um, Tim Gunn talking to, uh, these are male names, Matthew and Zachary. Yes. Uh, one after the other. Let's just dive in. Wow, Matt. Hi, Tim. Hi. What is all this? You know, it's a lot of craziness. But Doesn't I look think... crazy. Okay, good. That's that was the goal. How much more work do you have on the top? You know, on the top, I'm almost done. I just good. obviously need to do a little bit of a hem, and then the skirt is where I was thinking I could use this, but I'm just worried I don't want to add too much volume to the hips. I am definitely freaking out at this point. I mean, I definitely don't want to disappoint Tim Gunn because, like, he is the Tim Gunn. Well, how about cutting it in half? That's a good idea. Hello. Hi, Zachary. Talk to me, please. So I cut up a bunch of the pinwheels, and I'm using the reflective side. the pinwheels? Yeah. Just cut them up so it's almost like a mosaic type thing. And then the bottom is car mats for now. What do you mean car mats for now? I don't know if I really like this. I think you need to commit. Okay, then I'm committed. I think that Zachary... Okay, then I'm committed. Oh. I'm using these pinwheels. It's just, he's so sweet. And so this kid, you don't have the visual. He's like a little egg-shaped kid. He's so cute. He looks like the little boy from Up. up. Exactly. Just grown up making dresses <laughs> but not that for much. beautiful He's like, women. Like, oh, it's been like two years. We revisited it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> two, three years later after Up. Uh, that's it exactly. I wish we had we'd played the clip before we even started talking about it because that really does exactly nail the tone of the show. And... Uh, even more than that, I made you watch the unconventional challenge, which I don't oh, know yeah. why I just assumed that you understood that that was like a thing. No, in fact, you called. I thought you were telling me the name of the episode was unconventional challenge, and then I googled it and I was like, "Wait, it's called unconventional car wash." <laughs> I am there. <laughs> so, and it was called that because the episode they they could only use materials found at a car wash. And boy, did, did they, they make, make it, it work? work. <laughs> well, <all right. laughs> But I just feel super psyched that I got you to watch reality TV. You did. You did. And I, I have more episodes downloaded. I do think I'll watch this this season. Yeah, you didn't hate it. Which no, I didn't hate was it at really, all. You were predisposed to hate it. I And I actually teared up a little. Aww. Um, But not as much as I full-on sobbed 
to the next thing we're about to talk about. But before we get there, let's play a song from Lady Lamb. Uh, this song is called Violet Clementine. Which you thought may have been called Violent Clementine. Well, listen to the song. You might understand why. <laughs> you build a nest of yellow yarn. You hope to get the yellow yarn. is soft enough to break you fall. Should you fall? Should you fall? You build a nest of yellow yarn. You hope to get the yellow yarn. is soft enough to break you fall. Should you Tears are kept in hollow chests while sweat's ignored. However, spent our tears of sweat, tears kept secret and strewn from pores. Blood is spent and tears are kept in hollow chests while sweat's ignored. However, spent our tears of sweat, tears kept secret and strewn from pores. Keep your silence golden in words important. You're only a handsome animal. Blood is left and tears are kept in hollow chests while sweat's ignored. However, spent our tears of sweat, she's kept secret and strewn from pores. Blood is left and tears are kept in hollow chests while sweat's ignored. I love oh, that. Yeah. I have had many a breakdown walking down the street to that song in the past three weeks. So I had never heard Lady Lamb until you shared this list with me. I actually, yeah, I want to give my friend actually a shout out real quickly. His name is Ari Kamen, and he does, like, every year he sends out these top 30 albums, like every New Year's ish. Mm -hmm. And I kind of ignored him for the first three years because it's the top of that year? Of that year. Like, top 30 albums from that year. Um, And I found the whole thing, like, I don't But then I finally started paying attention to his lists, and it's I get all of my music from him at this point. It's real good. In fact, if, if you go to Spotify and you like Google Ari Kamen Top 30, I created, using his curation, there's like a playlist that's all the albums. How do you spell full. the last name? K-A-M-E-N. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And it's, it's fantastic. Uh, now, having said that, we're going to dive into Do I Sound Gay? The documentary by David Thorpe. Do I do I sound gay? Oh man! Immediately in talking about it, it brings up a lot for me. So before we even <laughs> jump into it, this right. was something that I so I had heard about. I think I listened again to the Fresh Air documentary, which was really really interesting, um, and I had wanted to watch it for a while. And it, I, for whatever reason, it was sort of a tough sell. So I used it again as an opportunity to force you to to watch it. And I'm so happy you did. And honestly, both ended up being thematically connected because there were so many gay sounding people between uh, the two recommendations. Yeah. And Tim Gunn is in this documentary. That's true. In fact, I have to say there's a part in the documentary where he's saying like, he's talking about how he stretches out sounds. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't just say why he says why. And seeing him with the kids, it is even it's even more stretch. It's, it's his way of being delicate. Yeah. And so all of his words are even longer than usual. Now oh, I'm doing George Takei. Zachary. But... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell us, what is this movie? So in short, do I sound gay? And I'm, I'm just reading a little blurb here. Uh, do I sound gay? Uh, is a documentary told from the perspective of journalist David Thorpe. In the film, Thorpe confronts his personal anxiety over quote-unquote sounding gay, exploring the history of gay voice in media while interviewing LGBT icons like Dan Savage, David Sedaris, and George Takei. So? I cried. Just mm-hmm. flat out cry. I actually had to watch it. Uh, I had a couple false starts with this one. It hit so close to home in terms of the gay experience with the sound of your voice and how it affects things, it's very... I don't mean to out you, but for new listeners, you are gay. You're a gay man. I, uh, yeah, I'm still coping with it. But (laughs) No, I mean, I've been out for uh, like 13 years now, but it's definitely insecurity, how you sound. And it, it even brought more to my attention because this is a podcast and I am often the loud shrill one on this podcast. Um, and... And it's a difficult subject, like, because it's just I do. I sound like a pansy. Well, and both of us, so I I alluded to this before, but James and I went to college together. We were in drama school, 
And we were in a studio training program that had like really an extensive focus on voice and thinking about where your voice is grounded. And really more than anything, we talked a lot about how do we portray ourselves through our voice? Do you get what I mean? Like what do we reveal about ourselves through our voice? So there, we have, a, we have our own baggage attached to just this idea of identity and voice and how those two things are connected. Well, yeah, I, I mean, in my voice, com- my voice combines two of America's least favorite qualities, uh, which is condescension and femininity. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's at the at the heart of this film. I have to say, and we'll talk we'll talk more about it. And uh, and I guess I'll just throw in my insecurities about voice because they won't be relevant for the rest of this. But I well, d- well, we'll get there. Yeah. They are very relevant. I do feel like in the same way that the gay voice is rooted in compensation. My my nervous voice that has been developed over the years of how I like talk when I'm nervous is totally rooted in deep overcompensation. So that when I get nervous now or when I'm talking to somebody and I'm afraid I'm gonna say something stupid, I pitch my voice down actually. And I find myself talking like this and I like don't recognize myself. And the shitty thing about that, like this voice here, is that in trying to overcompensate for what is my natural voice, I end up just fitting into another female stereotype right now, which is the vocal fry. No, what do you mean? It sounds great. No, everybody hates this. You should not talk this way. No, please keep. I hard. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so the the documentary. I, I mean, it really scratches at an extremely big issue for the LGBTQIA community. Uh, I immediately like once I finally finished it. Like it's essential viewing for any gay man. Uh, because it so adequately captured like the very real dynamics of that experience. Does it is it uh, relevant for gay women? Yes. Um, now, uh, yes and no. So we can go. I, I do. I do specifically say it's essential viewing for gay men. Mm-hmm. If you are a gay man, you should see this documentary. It's talking about an experience you have. It's something you think about, and it's talking specifically about how men, gay men, think about it. I don't think, and we can get more into that, I don't think the documentary itself went into enough of how uh, code switching is something that everyone does. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I, I want to really focus on what it did well. And uh, so there is a, there's a point, David Thorpe um, discovers in talking to his friends and family that they all sort of remember this point in his life where his voice switched from straight sounding to gay sounding Mm -hmm. Uh, let's just play that clip right when you first came out you were sounding super queen and it reminded me of when I first came out I went and bought a black leather jacket it was a signal and um, it reminded me of that that like you had put on this voice kind of my um, voice was my black leather jacket yes later I found out that my childhood pal Michelle also noticed my college transformation I remember talking to you and going, God, his voice has changed. To me, I'd actually felt like you were trying to advertise that you were gay. And I was a little annoyed because I was like, well, you didn't speak that way three years ago. It bothered me that your voice had changed. I didn't give a shit that you were gay, but it bothered me that you changed your voice. I mean, I guess I'm getting used to it. Like, if I'd known you and you always spoke this way, I wouldn't think about it. It would just be you. Yeah. But the fact is, you know, for 17 years, it was a different you. And so for me, this was like an imposter's voice when when I first started speaking to you. I didn't didn't feel comfortable with your voice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you chose that clip. That one really gets to quite a few things. It's, yeah, this is really where the documentary shines and specifically and like these are the things that it shines a light on Mm -hmm. um i think it speaks to something that's very common for a lot of gay people and this is where it is regardless of gender where you you come out of the closet and then you you buy the the leather jacket as the the lesbian said or you 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 know you go to rocky horror you start wearing eyeliner you start doing and your voice gets loud or you Mm -hmm. know whatever it is and I think I, I know I definitely had friends and lo- like family members, loved ones who really saw it as like, oh, you're kind of advertising it. Like, I don't mind that you're gay, but you have to be so fucking gay about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, which repeatedly comes up as a question in this, like a really legitimate question that's asked of 
um, gay men, but also their, you know, their community, where everyone is a little bit like, well, I, I love gay men. I just don't feel like you have to be so, like, fill in the blank about it. Uh, right, you know I mean? exactly. And the, the really frustrating thing, actually, about what, and I'm not trying to villainize this woman, because that it's very common that friends of gay people feel that way. But what's shitty about it is he speaks earlier in the documentary about um, the fact that he was kind of f- a femme kid, and he it got bullied out of him in middle school. And then a decade later, when he came out of the closet, I think she even phrases it as, you chose to have, like, a gay voice. And it's it's the same as when, like, Rosie O'Donnell came out of the closet and she cut her hair and, like, went for that mullet. Right. And People. everyone's reaction was, why do you have to be so butch? Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Or why are you advertising, right? Well, it's like, and it, very similarly, why do you have to be that kind of lesbian? Right, exactly. It's like, well, because I was advertising. No, the lie was the past 10 years. I don't know where the truth is anymore. So, yeah, it is going to come out as exaggerated because I don't know where my identity is at this point. And I don't, I hope that this isn't reductive, but I look at the phases that I went through when I was forming my identity in high school when I felt like I could just choose these different things. And I did go through like very significant phases of trying things and choosing different affectations and different cultural references. Uh, And then I can't imagine that if I had to like keep myself in check for most of my life and then all of a sudden had this ability to be like, let me see what I can draw from. Like that's that is a phase that every human being has a right to go through. Exactly. Sometimes multiple times. When it's stymied for the first 17 years of your life. Yeah, you're going to be a little loud about it. And it, it really bothers me that it, it is this thing. Because, like, I'll, I'll grant you, young people are annoying. You know what I mean? Like, the, the process of, of trying out new fads and trying out new things for your identity can, in any regard, no matter who you are, what you're doing, be a really frustrating process to the people who know and love you. Mm-hmm. But you still, it's a right. It's a, you, you do it. Like, and there does seem to be, like, a specific, like, irritation surrounded, like, well, okay, f- yeah, but... You just sound really gay. Yeah, you're like playing a role more than ever. It's, it's, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm really not this time, you know. And you are. It's so. It's very complicated. Um, I want to go before we get into like really kind of where things get murky and complicated with this documentary. I do want to talk about the the Ohio teen that he interviewed. Mm-hmm. In the documentary. So there's a, a teenager who is extremely gay seeming and gay acting. 15 years old. 15 years old. And he was the uh, subject or the victim of a, of a beating. And it went viral. Someone recorded it. He was in school. It was totally charged by his voice and behavior and, and self. And nobody did anything. So let's just jump into that clip of this kid being interviewed. When did other kids start making fun of you for the way you talk? Well, when I was in third grade, people started making fun of the way I talked, and that's when the bullying started. Why do you talk like a girl? Why do you walk like that? My voice was high. I had, like, the little girl-whatever accent. I'd be sitting there talking to my friends. People would just walk by, faggot. Do you think you get picked on more because you're more effeminate? Because I'm different, and I'm not afraid to be. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm a diva. They're like, they don't like that. Zachary, why don't you step out for a minute? Why? I, I don't get to hear something. nothing. He has his moments where the diva is just his thing. In front of people, he's always so happy and giddy. and But he can't hide from me. I see the pain. I know it's there. Many gay adolescents are absolutely right to be very worried about how they sound because it draws violence. So the the end of that clip there was Dan Savage. Can I can I say something about Dan Savage and then we'll work our way back yeah, to absolutely, the Absolutely, yeah. So uh, we played as our theme song today uh, a little clip from the episode Sissies from This American Life. Uh, that And that clip that we played was featuring John Connors talking about this difference between acting like a woman and acting like a man. Uh, but later on in that episode is a really, really great segment with Dan Savage that just seems like a really early... Uh, example of addressing this topic where his thesis statement is actually that sissies are the bravest men there are because nothing is more unpopular than being a sissy as a boy and so the the choice to closet it or to seek out men who are straight seeming or straight acting 
uh, versus being able to be a person that's so comfortable in their own skin that they'll they just own it. That actually is that's brave. That's the opposite of being a sissy. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's just it's a it's a great episode. But that I I would recommend that little sound clip of of Dan Savage from 1996 and he's a big part of this movie too and arguably what he said at the end there is why it's so brave it really some some people by the way are so (laughs) mired in or or, like they're so closeted or they're so whatever they're so just who they are that they can't code switch you know what i mean it actually does take a certain type of brain to be able to code switch in that way and and this kid i mean he's 15 you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he is not equipped to code switch he can only sound like that at the moment so i also just wanted to mention that we you and i in talking about this film had talked a lot about the class issues of it and we'll get to that in a minute but this was an example of where i felt like the filmmaker is traveling to ohio he's meeting with this kid uh and even in just going into their house it's immediately clear that we are not in the like bastion of new york where everybody has like these like open floor plan kitchens and are talking over right. white wine which is a good portion of the movie is him talking to his friends who live in chelsea yeah having over and, white like, wine and mussels yes exactly the fish and the actual muscle you know whereas this kid he's you know sitting on like a futon and at one point his mom asks him to walk out and the second she's he leaves she, yeah she lights up a cigarette and she's smoking inside the house which you know, you posted a picture of yourself smoking in your living room the other day. It's not like I'm yeah, saying I'm like trash. nobody does that. But it has a certain moment where I was like, oh, we are, we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. Or we just arrived. Or well, we are in Kansas yeah. now, rather. So <laughs> it it was interesting. Let's talk about some of the things that makes this like a complicated piece. Yes. So because it's not perfect. Genre was a big part of it. It is a documentary, however. It's a documentary. I would classify it as like a personal narrative documentary. Uh, it, it, in some ways, is actually very similar to Chelsea Does, which we watched last week, in that everything that we're experiencing, we're happening, we're, we're seeing through his perspective. It's really a story of his own journey, as much as it is a, a larger journalistic exploration of the topic. Uh, so that a big part of that means that you're seeing everything through the lens of them. So you can't help but be like, do I like this person? Do I not like this person? Which, right. as we established last week, is not always the most important question to ask when you're when you're judging the merit of something. It also, genre-wise, borders on docudrama, which is really just a word you would use for a documentary that uses reenactments, because he has this whole extended sort of dramatic use of these, like, donkey masks that they use to to talk about braying ninnies and it reminded me of um this liz suedos documentary liz suedos who just passed away this year who was a big performance artist she did a documentary for hbo called my depression the up and down and up of it that included like animations and little songs and even though it was a documentary it was it was a piece of art as well it was like a performance piece now the so i the specific uh like real I almost ninnied or <laughs> whinnied. <laughs> um, ninnied is a good uh, Freudian slip, though. Oh, shit. <laughs> Damn it, I hate my life. Um, so the, the the donkey masks and whatever, it's it's a part of the framing of the movie is that he is on uh, a ferry to uh, Fire he's, Island. He's just broken up with his boyfriend. Yeah, and he's on a ferry to Fire Island, and he's just l- hearing the gay chatter in the the air. And has this sort of shame breakdown, like uh, where he just hears all of the people, all of the game and around him as I think he said, like you said, braying ninnies. And that's sort of the impetus for him to explore his own gay voice and the shame thing that he had. But the device they use to do it is two actors like they're like in a in a studio, like it's all like black black background and they're, you know, just looking directly into the mic uh, or directly into the camera. It's David Thorpe and two actors looking directly into the camera while they like monologue this like gay. <laughs> right, right. She but chai down my throat, and I was yeah. like, "What chai? Like, I don't like chai." Yeah. 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 Um, and then they have donkey masks and so forth and so on. And so when I, as I was first watching it, I was like, "This isn't how you make a documentary." Uh, and I was very like, "This is like performative and like weird," and I don't. I don't know that I like, and then it like took two seconds for me to be like, wait, I think that's the point he's making because the gay voice is performative and weird and it's all meta and we don't know where our identities are. I can't hate it. I can't hate it. All gay men should see this. 
it is fascinating in that right and I have to say you you specifically brought up this idea that the style of the film is very dramatic and I do think to discount the piece as less true because it's trying to use these dramatic things to convey a point is to discount someone for is speaking dis- dramatically is to discount the point exactly exactly, exactly. um now I, I will say uh there is like an element I so whenever gay men sort of complain about their lot in life, uh, it's received in like a couple ways. Uh, it's either like, oh, you're so brave. Um, that has gone the wayside, I think, a little more as we've gotten marriage and like our male privilege, specifically for gay men, that male privilege is very much like, th- like th- worth talking about. Like, so while code switching... Which, by the way, I actually want to put you on the spot. How would you define code switching? Code switching to me would be the act of when somebody that identifies with multiple communities chooses a different way of behaving based on the community that they are in, in a way to uh, affect their reception or their comfort. It's really about comfort as well. So that if I'm going back to Philadelphia, I find myself really pleasantly slipping into saying water and ma. You get oh, what I mean? Oh and uh, eating a lot of cheese whiz. That's my <laughs> yeah, birthright. That's, that's, yeah, it's not all bad. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> if I was talking to somebody in a job interview and they asked me what cheese do you ask for on a cheesesteak, I would say provolone. So job interview. I'm glad you said that word. Um, there's a, his Actually, you wanted to mention the choreographer. What was his name? Oh, Miguel Gutierrez, who's like just one of... There's like a, a group of friends that are featured in a this. A gaggle, if you will. Oh, yeah. a, a gaggle of gays. And he just sort of casually introduces him as like, my friend Miguel, who's an artist. But this guy is like a, a fairly well-known performance artist. So it was interesting. Whose work looks amazing. Yeah, he's great. Although the work that he does in the in the movie comes off a little silly, I actually think. It's <laughs> well, like, out of so context, out of context. It's like in yeah, a rehearsal exactly. room. But now... He, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who seems to know Miguel, and I, I specifically said, like, you know, I actually really started to have a problem with the movie on a class level when he was speaking to his choreographer friend, because the choreographer kind of comes at David a little, not, he basically is like, you know, you've come out of the closet, you've built your own identity, and yet you're still obsessed with this voice thing. And, uh... It's frustrating because it, it's a little reductive. It's a little like, just like, why can't you just be yourself? And it's like, well, because he doesn't, he's not a choreographer. Like, there's a whole workforce of, of not just working class, but of, of just non-creative jobs where you can't just be yourself. And the second that you, that, that big pile of money that's out there, the second you have less of a right to it or less access to it because of something like this it's more complicated than that mm-hmm. but that guy's amazing you know what i mean that was very much like life's a mosaic i just don't want to read that dancer's essays on gay identity in the working class i just i have to say though i read i watched this film the way that i feel like i try and read all things that come up with feminism and Everything else is with the student of the world, just soaking it in. Which is that I feel like it's unfortunate that we so frequently require every every person that's speaking for their own like unorthodox experience that then has to speak for everybody. Do you get what I mean? So every time a woman says something and everyone's like, "That doesn't apply to everyone," it's like, well. No, but it took her a really long time to get this one story out. And that's true. Uh, Absolutely true. I mean, look, what he said is, I do work on the creative. And what he said is like, oh, yeah, that's, I rarely code switch for that reason. And two things that we didn't get to talk about that I want to make sure that we get in before we're we're almost out of time. But there's two pretty big ideas in this film that I hadn't really thought about that I think are actually really worthy of considering. One of which is the historical background of the dandy and the idea of wanting to speak in a way that is erudite and, you know. The richy rich, the intellectual. I, as a child, had a limp wrist and great diction. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was not only associated with femininity, but also with a certain level of genteelness. And a certain level of control, exactly. right? If, especially if you're a poor gay kid. Well, I don't sound like it. And you get sound like a, a lot of positive kid. reinforcement. And some negative, but, you know. 
it's so it's social clout exactly so that that was really interesting they really go into the the history of that that character and how how it evolved from being aristocratic to feminine and in the in becoming feminine is actually where it becomes then this uh, subject of ire which brings up the second big topic of this film that really moved me was the fact that the thing that is really at play here is femininity uh, and the amount of power dynamics that are discussed in terms of how any sense of being a female or being like a woman is a, is a is something that you have to either be ashamed of that you're getting bullied for it's a sign of weakness whether you're male or female yeah well we can say that in the world but the idea that it, it's applied to like those are the connotations of gay boys gay gay seeming behavior and just what that says about the state of feminism and sexism in the world is sort of like wow across all all forms Th- this is uh, and this is kind of what i was trying to get to earlier which is Yes, uh, gay men should recognize their own misogyny and their own like social clout and male privilege and often white privilege. And uh, my friend, as my friend said, this movie probably should have been called Do I Sound Rich and Gay? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) However, I do think that the broader question is what you're saying, where it's like, well, no, what people don't like is that I sound feminine. How do we hear femininity? How do we react to femininity? Because it doesn't seem good, yeah. you know? It's And going back again to what we use as our theme song, it was a whole list of instructions for if you in any way could be perceived as feminine, do the opposite of whatever you're doing. <laughs> because oh, feminine I'm... is bad and masculine is good. I am failing so hard at it. <laughs> oh, I'm so hard. I try so hard. I Oh, I do want to share one just last tidbit. Yeah. And then we have just one little... One last little joke, but I, uh, it, it's the moment where I had to tell my manager not to impersonate me to oh, my yeah. face. Tell this story. Really quickly. As this has played out for me recently, I had a table. I'm a waiter as well. Um, I, at the table, I said something, you know, sort of sassy, but I had had a relationship, you know, I like, it was fine. And my manager pulls me aside and admonishes me saying that, you know, the way that you said that you know, could sort of be interpreted as, like, rude or what have you. And, like, this, I get it. Except that it's coming from someone who is a uh, hyper-masculine straight man who literally sounds like this. And then from that that timbre and that tone, proceeded to do a, a high-pitched impersonation of what I had said to my face. And I just, I before I could stop myself, was like, don't do that. Don't you're doing an imper- a high pitched impersonation of me to my face? Do you see how that's problematic? And the conversation just sort of stopped. But it really was a moment where it was like that was not probably smart for my job. But oh, I needed to say that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it scared him, didn't it? Uh, I mean, who knows? Who knows what effect it really had? But it was a moment where it's like I think you're hearing me in a certain way that's not. I don't know. It's a it's a fine line because I am a condescending bitch, but I also, I sometimes it's just I'm just being me. I don't even mean it in a a way. So speaking of which, speaking of which, you, her husband told me I sound tinny on this microphone. So I recently got a new microphone, which is why we can uh, record at my house, which and- means we have one good microphone. <laughs> Well, and I just one. want to point out that up until a couple months ago, you didn't have any complaints about the microphone you're using right now. I, just Not until your husband told me I sounded tinny. All I'm saying is for the last 60 seconds of this show, I want one, one glorious minute where I can know what it's like to be you with a wonderful microphone and a beautiful voice. That's totally fine. I feel perfectly confident giving, giving you the nice mic. Great. Get your ass out of that seat. <laughs> Oh, 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 this is nice. I don't notice any difference. Oh, I do. I do. This is smooth as ass. <laughs> Come on. I don't, I don't, I, I, am I, I can't, actually, I do think it does sound tinnier, but I, I'm also trying to do a James impersonation and I don't, 
I don't really know. It's just sort of, ang- it always comes off as like Gilbert Godfrey. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, oh, oh God. Okay. Well, oh. I don't sound like that. Uh, as we wrap up today's show, uh, we're going to wrap up with Amanda Lepore's song, My Hair Looks Fierce, because I wanted to play the most gratingly gay sounding song ever. I All love right. it. Come on. Okay. All right. Wait, is okay. That, okay. All right. All right. All right. Come on. Okay. Right. Calm down. I think that's what you sound like. That is, I hate my life. Anyway, thank you for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Write a review. Like us on Facebook. And go to JackieAndJames.tumblr.com. Do I sound straight? No. Do I sound tinny? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm Jackie Danziger. I'm James Tyson. It's been a week. See you next week. I don't know much about clothes, but my hair looks fierce. fierce. I don't know much about clothes, but my hair looks fierce. fierce. I don't know much about clothes, but my hair looks fierce. fierce. I don't know much about clothes, but my hair looks fierce. fierce. I don't know much about, much about, much about, much about, much about clothes and things. I just talk about, talk about, talk about, talking to my friends when my cell phone rings. I don't care about this, that, this, that, this, that, the other, what you're talking about.